2: This is Gabe Davis with the Buffalo Bills, and this is the NFL Report. Welcome into a brand new Tuesday edition of the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. We have a slam show. We're going to get Tory Holt into the Hall of Fame, Steve. We're continuing to stump to get the wide receiver from the greatest show on turf into the Hall of Fame. He's going to join us today on the NFL Report. Mark Ross is going to break down the What's going on at the top of the draft? What should the Bears do? A front office perspective, pull back the curtain there. Omar Ruiz was at that Cardinals and Eagles game. He's going to tell us about what's going on in that Philadelphia Eagles locker room. Also, the NFL Report's insider, Mike is going to join us about maybe some possible head coach openings that are on the horizon. But Steve, let's start with the playoff picture. It's starting to come to fruition here. Look at what we have starting with the NFC. We have a couple of divisions still up for grabs, haven't been clinched yet, but we do know the number one spot, that's not moving. We know the Cowboys can clinch the NFC East. The Lions could be the two or the three. The Eagles could be the five or the two. There's some still some shuffling that could happen within the NFC, Steve.
3: Yeah, absolutely, JP. And like you said, there's only two spots available, but we're still unknown who's going to win the NFC South and who's going to win the NFC East and JP a little bit later. We're also going to have Jeff Chadilla on with his first read column, and we're going to have that conversation as well. But since it's 2024 and it's New Year's resolutions, let's see if some of those teams okay. who are coming after the number one-seeded 49ers can make a resolution to possibly beat them. James, it, it, let's think for them. Do you have any team in the NFC who might be able to get past the Niners who have the Super Bowl or the NFC's rods of the Super Bowl coming through Santa Clara?
2: I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions, and it's for two major reasons. One, Steve, they had that game one in Dallas where Dallas plays so well Aside of the fact of the way things ended with the officiating. But I do think with the way that happened the the type of coach that Dan Campbell is, he might use this as motivation propelling them into the playoffs <laughs> and how they move forward. It, he did it last year when they started one and six. Then they go eight and two. What do they do? They use that end of the season to propel them into this year. They haven't lost back-to-back games this season. That's one thing I've always noticed with this group is when they have adversity, they get blown out by the Ravens. What ends up happening? They win the next three. The other part of it, Steve, is that I do feel like with all the weapons they have, Sam Laporta playing dominant tight end as a rookie, you have Amar St. Brown that's dominating over 1,300 yards as a wide receiver, two backs over 1,000 scrimmage yards. You have the ability to score points, score them quickly, score them early. And if you can make the 49ers play from behind, perhaps that's where the Lions could find some success if they can get out early if this matchup ends up happening. And the other last part of it is, Steve, they have a very underrated offensive line, which you need to play good offensive line football against this 49ers defensive front. They're good in the trenches. They're physical. Maybe this would be the team I would pick, but man, San Francisco looks good right now bouncing back.
3: Yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to get through the 49ers as deep as they are. They're going to have some time to rest and heal up because they've got that bye. Probably aren't going to play their players week 18. But you know what? I'm going to talk about the L.A. Rams having the best shot. And it sounds crazy (laughs) because the Niners have basically bought a block of property in the L.A. Rams' heads and beaten them eight out of the last nine times. But, J.P., the majority (laughs) of those wins... Have been one possession games. These teams know each other well. So I think that familiarity gives the Rams if there is an advantage to have from other these these, these challengers in the NFC, it's that familiarity. Right. And because they know each other so well, the coaches, a lot of the players. And the fact is, you mentioned with Detroit, the Rams have the offensive weapons, especially a wide receiver. And now with Kyron Williams in the running game, to get out to a lead and to make the 49ers play from behind. Now, one thing about the Rams also, their defense is a bend but don't break defense. They find ways to come up with True. timely stops, which would be very important against the 49ers. Now, I'm not picking Dallas. Neither one of us did. Dallas's ability to stop the run, no. I think it will be a huge issue playing a team like the 49ers. We saw how the Niners boat raced them earlier this season. So, I'm going to stay within the division, and if they meet for a third time, that will be the case. All right, now let's flip it over to the AFC. Let's look at the playoff picture there where the Baltimore Ravens have secured, with authority, the number one seed. But you see Miami at number (sighs) two. With authority is right. Miami's at number two, but right now they could lose that. They could flip with the Buffalo Bills. They've got a huge Sunday night head-to-head clash. But you see a team like the Cleveland Browns, they've secured a spot. The Chiefs have secured a spot this weekend, but there are three open playoff positions In the AFC, so JP, let's go back to these Baltimore Ravens. They're the top seed. Let's go back to this New Year's resolution. Is there any team in the AFC that can beat a team like the Ravens, which is absolutely destroying anyone they encounter lately?
2: This might sound crazy, Steve, but I'm picking a team that's not even certain to be in the postseason. They could wind up the two. They could wind up in the back end of the postseason. They could be out. That's the Buffalo Bills, and I think it's solely because of Josh Allen. I think Lamar Jackson is probably the front runner for the MVP. You know who might finish as the runner-up when everything is said and done? It might be Josh Allen, and I think if you look through all of the postseason, you look at all of those teams, ask every defensive coordinator, what's a quarterback you don't want to face? I would say Josh Allen's probably pretty high, on a lot of these defensive coordinators' lists. And I think the reason why they have a shot to do this if they end up matching up with one another is because of Josh Allen's ability to make defenses play the second play. We talk about that so much with Patrick Mahomes. You talk about it with Josh Allen. The first play is what's on schedule. The second play, which is what's off schedule, when a defense has to play longer, that's what Josh Allen does. And I want to see more 12 personnel out of this team, Steve. I want (laughs) to see Dalton Kincaid. I want to see Dawson Knox on the field at the same time. I want to see them put teams in binds, but I also see them run the football so well. We saw them run the football and lean on it this past week in the second half. What does that do? That keeps Lamar Jackson off the field. I think they're balanced. I think this defense right now, as we talk about a team that nobody wants to play, we keep saying that's the Bills. I think the defense is actually a big part of that as well with the way they're playing up front and on the back end. I'm going to say the Bills are probably the team built to go and maybe take down the Ravens, who I just don't know, like saying that sentence, yeah, Steve, yeah. because the Ravens are so good right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I look. No, no one is going to
3: have any issue with you saying the Buffalo Bills because they've got the experience and they've got the players to possibly mm-hmm. match up against the Ravens. You know, it's a shame. A couple weeks ago, we probably would have said the Dolphins, but the fact that both of their edge yeah. rushers now, with Bradley Chubb down Great for the point. season, Jalen Phillips out, that really hampers them against a team like the Ravens. Here's one for you. You know, the last time the Ravens lost, what do you got? It was November 12th. You know who they lost to? The Cleveland Browns. And that was before Joe Joe Flacco. Flacco. The Cleveland Browns can be the team that could upset the Baltimore Ravens, as crazy as it sounds. But, again, I'm going back to familiarity. They know this would be the third time both teams will have played each other should they face off in the playoffs. So it works for both sides. But that defense, that Cleveland continues Mm -hmm. to put together – they actually have players that can spy Lamar Jackson and still do their jobs, like linebacker Ooh, Jeremiah Ouso Koromora, J-O-K, as he's known, He can play that spiral, right? So so this is this to me is an mm-hmm. intriguing matchup. And what Joe Flacco has been able to do to open up that wow. passing game, to let the Browns and that pretty good offensive line do what they do in a quick passing game, moving pocket passing game, to do some things that way. I just look at all of these other teams and outside of the Bills, and, I, and I'm with you on the Bills. I think Cleveland probably has the best shot. Those injuries uh, are a problem. Go ahead. I can't believe I'm not saying
2: Kansas City either. No, no. No, no. I love that you're saying this really quick. I just want to say remember 2019. The last time the Ravens had a bye in the postseason, and Lamar won the MVP, yep. they were knocked out in the first round. They were knocked out in the divisional round by the Tennessee Titans. What if Joe Flacco goes in, former Baltimore Raven, oh, and they too have juicy. Lamar as the MVP, and a first-round bye, and Joe Flacco knocks him out, Steve? Too juicy. It's too juicy. It has to happen. It has to happen. Well, look, you know what else
3: is juicy? Neither one of us said the Eagles will be threatening No. The 49ers in the nfc coming up next we are going to look at the dysfunction of the operation on both sides of the ball. balls mike Garofolo and omar ruiz join the nfl report and it's also a podcast people make sure to listen
0: you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring
3: All right, welcome back to the NFL Report. I'm Steve White. I'm my guy, James Palmer. JP, we are now joined by NFL Network insider Mike Garofolo, Mike G, happy The NFL Report Insider. That's right. And the yeah. insiders, NFL Reports Insider. But Mike G, 2024, we always know, as happy as people are to get to the new year, there's a handful of coaches who will no longer be head coaches not long after each new year. but. Well, let, let's get to this because we're we're less than a week away from probably a lot of decisions being made. Some might already be made, mm-hmm. but just not made public. Um, from folks I'm speaking to, they're not thinking that there's going to be 10 coach firings like a lot of folks were assuming a month ago.
4: Yeah, we're probably south of that, but we'll have a nice solid chunk to work with, Steve. We always do. Uh, it's very rare if you're... You know, under five. I don't think we'll be there. We're in the we're in the five to six, seven, eight range potentially, and we're looking at a couple of really cornerstone guys. Uh, and and I thought a couple of weeks ago, Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. We may be coming to the end of both of those uh tenures. Not so sure on either one of them right now. And I'll, I'll start what? with Belichick. Um Yeah, I'll start with Belichick. <laughs> you know, there's still going to be a conversation between him and and Robert Kraft about the direction of the franchise. I, I know that. My sense is Kraft would not would prefer to not fire him, right? Like would prefer for him to continue to be the coach of the Patriots and get the record for most coaches or for most wins for a coach as a New England Patriots mm-hmm. coach. I got the sense from someone who seemed to have a little bit of a beat on this, and and look, nobody really knows except Robert Jonathan Kraft and maybe a few select few others uh, within the Patriots organization. But I got the sense from someone who has sort of a beat on this that. Belichick could potentially present to Kraft, here's my plan moving forward. Does he take a step back from personnel, allow someone else to handle that part of his job since that's been a big part of it for 20 years? And could he potentially stick around? Maybe. Stay tuned. And then ask real, for V. Real, real quick, Mike,
3: though. Real quick, though, Mike. Yeah, if yep, you're talking yep.
4: about that scenario, you're talking
3: about two seasons for Belichick to get that record. I mean, for him to knock it out in one that's season definitely. would seem highly, highly improbable.
4: Yeah, potentially, but you know what? They're in a position draft-wise to get themselves a quarterback, and all of a sudden, doesn't that change things? Like, if you get the, it's the offensive side of the ball, Steve. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. they're still playing good defense. Defense has been They're great. still playing smart. Mm-hmm. They're still playing hard. It's not a question of those things. And speaking yeah. of playing hard, those players are going to take the field on Sunday in Foxborough against the Jets, not knowing if that's going to be Belichick's last game. I would be utterly floored if the Patriots lose this game. Like, how could you send him out potentially oh, with a loss to the Jets? Right, right. So I know that game really doesn't matter for playoff standings, but it'll matter for some folks who nice are into some speaker. other things. You know, just let you know that you may want to look at the Patriots in that one. Um, but <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I it's it's if you get yourself a quarterback and you whether it's Bill O'Brien or somebody else as a proven offensive coordinator suddenly things can look a little bit different. But I do think he needs some help on the personnel end. And Dave Ziegler's free these days. Yeah. He was in New England previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a couple other options you can bring some guys in. You mentioned the veteran
2: coaches, Mike. You mentioned kind of, you know, Bill Belichick. You mentioned Pete Carroll. They've been there for a long time. The third one, there was some rumblings, but you didn't mention them there, and Mike Tomlin. I just want to throw this scenario out there and tell me what's what. If one of these teams that is just desperate for his services, calls up the Steelers and says, we wanna trade for Mike Tomlin. We wanna to offer him blank. The Steelers have to tell him, right? Like, where do things stand in Pittsburgh right now with Mike Tomlin? Cause this is the first time we're starting to hear little rumblings about, is it time? Would he ever be interested in leaving himself though?
4: I don't believe so. I think he certainly loves his job and he certainly loves the organization and he knows what it's like to be the head coach uh, of a cornerstone franchise in the NFL. So I haven't gotten any inkling that he's looking to move on. Now, he's going to have to conduct a offensive coordinator search this uh, offseason. Sure. He's had Mike Sullivan in the role, and Sullivan and the offensive looked a lot better the last couple of weeks with Mason Rudolph, so I'm sure he'll at least get consideration for the job right now. Uh, so potentially, you could see a little bit of a different look offensively for the Steelers in 2024, but, you know, I, and I know... the the argument here, right? Like, you could have nine Mm -hmm. to ten wins guaranteed every single year, but you're in it to win the Super Bowl, right? And the Steelers just haven't knocked on that door recently. Yeah, I I know a lot of other franchises would say, hey, we'd love to have the sustained success the Steelers have had and be in the postseason, be in the tournament, like they like to call it, every single year because that gives you a chance. I don't think we're looking at the Steelers team this year and say, well, if they get in with one more victory here, oh, that's a team you don't want to see. We're not fashioning uh, a run here for the Steelers in the postseason. So they're not going to get to that point. And so now you're going to have that conversation of, are we just continuing to be middling with Mike Tomlin? Uh, I do get the sense that the Steelers are going to stand pat with Tomlin as their head coach in 24, barring some kind of unforeseen change here.
3: All right, Mike, we're we're getting a little tight on time, but the NFC South could dictate some head coaching futures. What happens in week 18, you've got Arthur Smith with the Falcons, Todd Bowles with the Buccaneers and Dennis Allen with the Saints. Um, what does it seem like with yeah. those three? Because you know, they, they all three could be kept. Or they all three, or at least two no. of the three might be gone.
4: I believe Arthur Smith is on the shakiest of grounds. Uh, Arthur Blank, the owner, did indicate that you know he's leaning, or he was leaning toward keeping him, but that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, wanted to see how things play out. If they don't mm-hmm. play well uh, against the New Orleans Saints, it does feel like it could be time for Arthur Smith, who made a big bet on Desmond Ritter that did not pay Ooh. off this season right now uh, as for Todd Bowles and Dave Canales the offensive coordinator I think they've already the they should already be in the barn there I mean this was a team that knew they were going to pare this thing down this season uh, we're not going to spend we're going to get their books back in order and for this team to be on the verge of you know just beat the Panthers beat the Panthers you're in the postseason that should shut the door not only number one not only will that shut the door on potentially uh the Buccaneers moving on from Todd Bowles but number two it makes Dave Canales a sneaky, I say sneaky, head coaching candidate. And I say sneaky because mm-hmm. I don't think he gets himself a job this season, but he gets himself some interviews. And don't he's gonna forget. He's going to get interviews. He, interviews. Yep. Yeah, and he fulfills a Rooney Rule requirement yes. because he is a, a minority interview, which is not why he's going to get interviewed. He's going to get interviewed because he's a exciting, energetic, young coach who had some good offensive uh Uh, schemes that he brought down there and some good offensive coaching down there so he will get some interviews down there Uh, and as for Dennis Allen all indications are they're going to continue with him as the head coach Uh, I'd like to see what they're going to do to reset down there because they're going to have to make some hard decisions from a personnel standpoint but it seems like they're clicking at the right time it may be too late but they are clicking at the right time
2: yeah nuts Mike is going to be absolutely slammed for the next week guys just to let you know Steve Mike will uh if you want to contact him do it now because he's going to be busy leading up to Monday. Hey, man, he's going to do it well. Mike, appreciate it, buddy. Mike's going to do well. Appreciate you, bro. You got it, guys. Thank you. All right, check out this. Steve, the Eagles made a change as their defensive coordinator. Oh, boy. They go from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia. Uh, things haven't been great since the switch, uh, and Matt Patricia running this defense. We look at where they're at right now. They haven't gotten takeaways really all season long, but still haven't really been able to do it. Omar Ruiz, Steve, was at this game with the Arizona Cardinals coming into the link with their head coach, Jonathan Gannon, former defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, and they go and just run up and down the field at the link. Omar, there is not going to be another change. We know that. It's going to be Matt Patricia moving forward. They're not going back to Sean Desai. But what is wrong with this Eagles defense, and is it essentially something that can't be fixed? What did you gather in Philadelphia?
5: Yeah, I... I, what I gather is they don't know. I mean, there are no specific answers to those questions and they've been asking them for several weeks now. oh. I asked Jalen Hurts the other day uh, after the game on Sunday, why they haven't been closing the last couple losses. Obviously they had the last second touchdown by Drew Locke and the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night football to lose that game. And then obviously this one, Kyler Murray and James Connor, the game winning touchdown in the final minute to lose that one. And, and, All Hurts could offer was they just got to use that as learning lessons, stick together, have that sense of urgency to get better. Now, Brandon Graham did have some specifics, and he pointed to the injuries on the team. Avante Maddox came back after missing some time. He had that missed tackle against Greg Dorch that allowed Dorch to get inside the 10 and led to the game-winning touchdown. And he said, next time Maddox is in that position in the playoffs... He's going to make that play. They had Nick Morrow, their linebacker. He just came back. Zach Cunningham ought to be back soon. Another linebacker. Darius Slay, one of the best corners in football. He should be back soon. So when they get healthy, that ought to make a difference on defense. But Nick Sirianni was asked yesterday is how the weight of the season is getting on these Eagles. And he said, well, that's just expectations. They know what this operation looks like. Remember last year, obviously, they were just a few minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. There's that Dorch play I was telling you about. And because they got so close, they are so hungry. They are putting pressure on themselves. More pressure than any uh, outside uh, of the locker room can provide. So they're looking to get it fixed. And I I will provide some history here. All this you know, Joe Flacco talk, he's been in the news. It reminds me of that 2012 season with the Ravens. This is an Eagles team that's still loaded with talent. But if you remember that Ravens team in 2012, they lost four out of five heading into the postseason, and then Joe Flacco and the rest of them got hot, and they went wild. They won the Super Bowl. So the Eagles still believe that the answers are in their locker room. They just don't know what they are right now. But history does show that a team Mm -hmm. that's talented can put it together and make a run here in the postseason. They think they can. That's a
3: real good comparison. The one one Mm -hmm. huge difference, I would say, is there were no questions about that coaching staff in Baltimore, that staff was
5: absolutely loaded and stacked on both sides of the ball. Well, Omar, let's go yeah. ahead. But you remember, Steve, they they, they made it. Hold on, they made a change at offensive coordinator. Remember, they fired Cam Cameron, they brought Jim Caldwell, Jim Caldwell in. So Caldwell there were in. questions there, and they mm-hmm. figured it out.
3: A- absolutely, so. and, Jim, and they figured out with the right guy and Jim Caldwell. So you know, and and that's what I'm saying. So exactly, you know, they they pulled the trigger at the right time and it worked. And look. Getting back to the Super Bowl is always tough. We're seeing some of the struggles that every team has getting back. Kansas City, some yep. of the struggles they're going. KC but, Omar, well. I well. Omar, I want to flip over to Arizona because they did score four times there in the second half to come back and upset. <laughs> and from what we have seen, this is not a good team. They're going to be picking at the top end of the draft. But quarterback Kyler Murray, since he has come back from that knee injury, Omar, this has looked like a different offense, right? Are they, are the Arizona Cardinals, you you live in Arizona, you're around this team, are they sold that Kyler is going to be their guy moving forward?
5: Yeah, from every conversation I've had, Kyler Murray certainly uh, is their franchise quarterback. And I think bigger picture, uh, this ought to be one of those performances that Kyler Murray uh, puts to rest that narrative that he doesn't prepare, that he's not uh, putting in the work behind the scenes and studying tape because uh, I spoke with offensive coordinator Drew Petzing yesterday and that's all Kyler Murray could do last week was prepare, watch film, attend meetings. He was sick all week long. He only practiced in a limited role on Friday, but he was in every meeting even on Zoom when he wasn't in the building on Wednesday and Thursday and that allowed him to play the way he did that 25 of 31, 232 <laughs> yards, three touchdowns. And to come back from that pick six, remember he had that pick six, Sidney Brown took it back 99 yards, and they didn't buckle after that. He stayed put. And he had the wow plays, the, the James Conner touchdown pass, one of those thrilling Kyler Murray plays. And Petzing says those are always going to be there. What he was most impressed by Kyler Murray was doing the easy plays, making an incompletion instead of taking a sack, staying in rhythm, finding the easy outlets, those are the things that are sustainable for this offense. Those are the things they can build around. And then big picture within the team, remember we talked to Jonathan Gannon in training camp, and he talked about being process-driven. Ultimately, he knows he's judged by the results that they have, but they're focused on the process. And when they get a big win in Philadelphia, the way they got a big win in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, the way they beat the loaded Dallas Cowboys earlier in the season, those are all wins that validate the process that they're going through instilling that program. And when you look at the Cardinals, they have a NFL high 11 rookies that have started for them this year. Uh, So so consistency is always an issue when you play that many young players, but obviously they're building that foundation. These wins can go a long way to what could be a turnaround season in 2024.
2: Arno Marcer, in under 30 seconds, tell me, what do they do with pick number four? Are they protecting Kyler Murray, giving him a weapon, trading back? What's going to happen? (laughs) I say they give him a weapon. Obviously, you know, once
5: DeAndre Hopkins left uh, this past season, you know, things haven't been the same. Hollywood Brown's been in and out of the lineup. But I think the way Trey McBride has come on at tight end, the way James Conner and Mm -hmm. how about Michael Carter there as the one-two punch on Sunday to provide some, you know, weapons on the ground. That was another thing Petzing said, that the attitude that they've had developing the offense, they want to be bullies the way they've been able to run the football all year long really has been something uh, for them. So they can continue to develop that attitude on the ground. You give Kyler Murray some weapons to surround him. This could be one of those dark horse te- uh, type of teams in 2024 that bounces oh, back in a big way.
3: Omar's called the dark horse shot. Okay. Whoa. All right, oh. All <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Wow. Listen, <laughs> hey man, Listen, Hey, oh, hey it's, I, hey, it's already in January of 2024. Four, it's
2: never too early good. to start talking about the 2024 season.
6: There we go. Here he comes. Marvin Harrison Jr.
2: transforms the entire Cardinals organization into a dark horse contender. Omar, appreciate it, buddy. All right, coming up, we got Mark Ross. He is going to tell us what happens in front of that fourth overall pick. How about the number one overall pick? What do the Bears do? Is Justin Fields part of the plans moving forward? We'll see more on the NFL Report. You're listening to the NFL
3: Report podcast, but you can watch me, Steve Weich, and my co-host, James Palmer, on the NFL Report at 7.15 Eastern Time on Mondays and Thursdays on the NFL app and free streaming platforms on the NFL Channel on Roku, Tubi, Peacock, Pluto TV, and other free streaming apps.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
2: Welcome back to the NFL Report. Remember, if you're not watching us, make sure you're listening to us. You can take us on the go. Steve and I are everywhere. And right now, we have Mark Ross joining the show Mark, you know everything that goes on behind the scenes within the front office side of things in the NFL. When you're at Soldier Field on Sunday and you're hearing the fans chanting, we want Justin, we want Justin. Oh boy, do, does Ryan Poles have a decision to make because he has been locked into the number one overall pick. What goes on right now in Chicago as they're weighing every really option they have which also includes seeing who wants to come up possibly for that number one pick
7: well first of all I'm sure we heard it but you got to do this you can't listen to the fans fellas uh when I the last the first time <laughs> I was in this position way back in 1999 with the Philadelphia Eagles when we had the second pick, and the fans were chanting, we want Ricky, we want Ricky Williams all the way up till draft night. Okay. And then booed my man Donovan McNabb as we drafted him. <laughs> oh, he got we, booed. Who blocked out we all the booed. noise leading up to that draft? Of course, they were going to come burn down Veteran Stadium if we didn't take Ricky and all that. No one's ever apologized for that. But anyway, Ryan Poles has to <laughs> tune out the fans. And but listen to his team. If his team and those those players believe in Justin Fields. That definitely has to be taken into consideration. But it's really all about how the coaching staff and the scouting staff feel about Justin Fields and what they've seen from him this year, and also what they think he can still contribute. But also comparing Justin Fields with that number one pick to who's coming out. It's so easy always to just say, yep, there's these quarterbacks, let's take one. Well, the scouting and coaching staff may not think any of these guys are better than Justin Fields, so you have to compare him to Mm -hmm. Caleb Williams. You have to compare him to Drake may each individual quarterback that's coming out and say, okay, is Justin better than these guys and then make the decision from there. Or, Hey, if we move down and get Marvin Harrison, Jr., does that make Justin Fields better? So there's tons of options that they have there, whether to stick with him or to take one of those guys, if they love him or move down enough to still get the quarterback that they love or want pair him with Justin Fields or hey trade Justin Fields, get more draft capital, because we've already got this, this draft capital now and that second-round pick that's essentially a first-round pick, too. So, so many options at Ryan Poles is disposed. I'd love to be in his position. I know people are like, oh, I wouldn't want to be Ryan Poles. I'd love to have that situation and all you'd those options it. and working with your staff and coaching staff and scouting staff, piecing that stuff together.
3: Well, Mark, you, know, you say you'd love to be in his position, but the one thing that it seems like he's going to be back, him and Matt Eberflus, but whether they're back also determines – what's going on? but you talked about oh they could trade back and do this. Let's look at some of the draft order and look at some of the teams that need quarterbacks and then from your experience in the front office, tell us how you decide on which team you would like to go and how far back in the draft maybe you'd like to go. So let's start number number two is the commanders. number three the Patriots. number four the Cardinals we don't think they need a quarterback. number five the Giants very interesting. The six, the Chargers, no quarterback. Seven, Titans, they've got their quarterback. Eight, Jets, they have their quarterback maybe for another year. Nine is the Bears again. Then here's where it gets interesting. Ten is the Falcons. Eleven is the Raiders. Twelve is the Vikings, which is super interesting. So, Mark, how far back? When you're looking at your team, do you say, okay, we can only go back to maybe in that six or seven range? Or we can go all the way back to ten with the Falcons because they can give us a mountain of bounty where we can add other draft picks to help support Justin Fields.
7: Yeah, at any time throughout the draft, but particularly at the top here, when you go through your draft meetings and you see your draft positioning, you want to trade back, but trade back so you still get a player you want and a player you love. You don't want to trade out and you're sitting there at at 10, you're like, well, who do we take now? We got our way back to 10, we got these draft picks, but we don't love anybody that's here. So number one, you're looking at the compensation package wherever that falls to say... Yep, we love this now, or a a first round pick for next year, that could be in the mix as well, or players and picks. So you're looking at the compensation, comparing that and saying, okay, what do we like the best? But then also to get to a certain point on your board where you have a group of players and you say, okay, we've got these three guys. We don't want to miss out on one of these guys. We want to get one of them. So we don't want to be at number eight and and sitting there with a player we don't like. You want to still trade, get a compensation package you really love, but still be in a position that you can get a player that you really want to have. You don't want to be put, put the name in and you got everybody looking in your room like, man, we don't want this guy. You still want to be in a position where everyone's saying, yep, we've still got our guy, but we got an excellent package of value for where we traded from at number one.
2: I'm fascinated by it because also with Mark, the way that we're hearing Justin Fields has the locker room, how much, you said, you don't look at fans, but how much does that weigh into a front office when they know that the other 52 guys in that locker room want Justin Fields to stay? How much does that weigh into your evaluation of making this difficult, difficult decision? But you want the decision,
7: you said. Yo, no doubt, no doubt. That's what that's what it's made of, you know? Nobody, no, Easy stuff is easy. Layups are easy. Who, who's going to beat people off the dribble, hit these threes with someone in your face? That's what you want as a GM. You should, <laughs> there you we go. Relish. Relish that position to, to be in. And, yes, you definitely have to take into account how your team feels about a quarterback and the belief. The, the, the belief is a huge thing. With the Giants, with Eli Manning, I, I, I said that was the biggest strength he had is that the team believed in Eli. You know, the three yeah. interceptions, whatever they believe, is going to get it done. So that's a huge step. But Justin still has to show enough, and he's shown flashes, there still has to be that play that, okay, I know the team loves this guy. But, uh, you know, he can't make these easy throws or we don't think he's processing well enough. You still have to block that out with the team thinks, and go with what your scouting staff and your coaching staff evaluates Justin Fields and his potential or viability. Again, compared to who they could get in the draft and say, Caleb Williams is going to be better than Justin Fields and he can take us to another level. I know the team likes Justin, but just talent wise, play wise, we think he can take us to another level that Justin cannot take us to. So. Yes, you weigh it in, but ultimately you can't let players make decisions for you. You take into account, but they can't make decisions. It just helps you and guides you a little bit if you have your guy, especially players who don't
3: give you enough of a record as to where we're not even having a conversation like this because you're making a playoff. You're playing run.
2: right now, man.
3: Yeah, playing right you're now. Playing okay. Right now. All right, hey,
2: Mark Ross. Thank you so
3: much. We we got to get going, but we're gonna have you back next week because you we got a whole <laughs> lot of stuff going on. Oh, we got a lot to talk about next 18. week. And remember, this is also a podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. But coming up next, he was a member of the greatest show on turf, and for the fifth consecutive year, he's a Hall of Fame finalist. Tory Holt
0: on the NFL Report, right after the break. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring
3: Fires the middle, Torrey Holt got it in traffic, wow! Throws the end zone, touchdown
7: Rams, Torrey
3: Holt! He's in the open field, 10,
7: 5, yeah.
3: touchdown Torrey Holt! Yeah. He's got a touchdown! Caught yeah. by Torrey Holt, touchdown Rams!
8: Holt and Hoops. stay tuned.
7: Touchdown Torrey Holt, receiver there, Torrey Holt's got it, touchdown Rams!
3: Woo-hoo. Yes, yes, we won it! Oh man, JP, that that is such an awesome video. Now we were joined that by the awesome. star of that big game, Tori Holt. Happy New Year to you, Tori.
8: Happy New Year, New Year to you guys, man. Thanks for having me on the NFL Report.
3: All right. Well, look, it's going to be a new year because once again, you are a Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist, Tori. We've been here before, bro. It's your, it's your it's your fifth yeah. time, and and I just kind of want to know, like, going through this the past couple of years and getting the phone call instead of the knock, has it globally, ha- has it changed your perspective on this process at all? Like, am I going to get in? Is it blah, blah, Like, Have you changed it all with this?
8: No, I've, I've tried to stay the course, uh, thankfully. You know, I just kind of lean on my faith. But I tell you what, though, to be honest with you, Steve, it's, a mo- it's a, an emotional roller coaster. It really is. Because that's not a day that goes by that I don't think about possibly being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Think about that. There's only 371 mm-hmm. members. There's only 28 receivers in the National Football League that are Pro Football Hall of famous. Lord willing, I'll be 29th. Um, so uh, I, I enjoyed the process. I learned something new every single year. But I just ride the wave, man. And it's really cool because it's a journey for me. I, I, think I, I put something out on. I put something out on my Instagram, and I said the journey continues, and that's it. You know. And I'm just staying down on it, like like Killer Mike. I'm just staying down by law. <laughs> I'm just staying down on it. Waiting on my turn. Um, But at the same time, but at the same time, really enjoying the moment because it is really special. There's so many men that's played in the National Football League, but there's only a few that's graced the hall. So hopefully, uh, hopefully soon I'll be gracing the hall, man
2: you mentioned it being a roller coaster. I'm assuming this makes the roller coaster ride maybe a little bit more enjoyable. We've had Andre Johnson on the show. We've had Eddie George on the show. And those two guys specifically, and you know there's others, have been stumping for you personally to get in. They said it on our show. They're like, it's time for Tori to get in. When <laughs> other guys that are waiting for their turn as well are stumping for you to get into the hall, what does that kind of mean, that support from other guys that are also trying to get that gold jacket?
8: First and foremost, that's respect. It really is. You know, that's um because it's it's hard, you know, it's just it's it's tough to sustain a Hall of Fame level year in and year out, first and foremost, and for your peers to recognize you as a Hall of Fame, but it just again uh, kind of validates what type of player they thought you were. Um, the type of competitor you were, the type of uh leader you were in your community, uh, on your organization, and the representation uh that you um every single year uh, gave the National Football League. So that is really cool to hear that. Look, there's so many guys out there that that I feel a Hall of Fame worthy as well, and I'm champion for them. Uh, you know, I, I think back to one guy that comes to mind for me is, and and, and I love him to death. He's a, he's a, he's a tremendous wide receiver. He was really dominant in his era. Was was uh, was Sterling Sharp, you right. know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and when I see Sterling, you know, I automatically give him his flowers because he, you know, he paved the way. Uh, for a lot of us that's played the position. So no, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that from my counterparts, thrilled to hear that from guys that I competed against and guys that I have respect for too, and carry themselves at a Hall of Pro Bowl Hall of Fame level too. So again, man, um my peers have said to me time and time again, they feel I should be in the be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hopefully the voters get it right as well.
3: Yeah, it's again, Sterling Sharp, one of the best receivers I've ever seen, just had that short career, yeah. had a neck injury, which cut it short, but still like in that era, like he he he, he was that guy. So, Tori, Tor, let me ask you this: when you when you look, we were just watching highlights of you and Isaac Bruce. Like Isaac Bruce is in, Kurt Warner is in, Orlando Pace is in, Marshall Falk is in. When you just you know, sometimes these voters might say, "Oh, we can't put in five guys from one team," but this, but to me, that only helps your case because you put up the numbers that you did with all of that other <laughs> yeah. talent. Don't you think that's more of a feather in your cap than anything?
8: I think so. And I think the voters have to look at my case. They have to look at me as a player, just as they did with Marshall, just as they did with Orlando, just as they did with Isaac, just as they did with Kurt and Aeneas. They look at their case. They look at what they did in the national football league. Look at what I did in the national football league for a decade. And what it was saying to you is I was an all-decade player. I was an all-pro. I was a Super Bowl champion. All of the all of the accolades that you can possibly amass in the league, I was that. Uh, uh, records in the National Football League that was set as a rookie and beyond. I was that. And beyond the greatest show on turf days, I was still that guy producing and producing at a high level. I was that guy. So I think I've voted. I hope our voters look at my case, Torrey Holt, as a player. Um and 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 really see what I was able to do, the impact that I was able to have in my 11 years in the National Football League. Well said, Tori. We're looking at the group that you were a part of, and
2: you're talking about it, and Steve's talking about it. And I'm like thinking of all these players. Like, is there a group of skill guys in the NFL right now on a particular team that you kind of look at and go, "That that's a group right there." I'm not saying anybody is the greatest show on turf. But is there a team where you see a group, whether it's San Francisco or one of those teams where you go, this group of skill guys is, is something else?
8: Well, there's a number of guys. You know, you look out in Cincinnati with the Bengals and Chase and Higgins and those dudes and out Tyler Board, how they get down, uh, how efficient they are, productive they are. Uh, I look at Tyreek Hill and, and Waddle down in Miami, the speed. Yeah. In which they, they, You know what I mean? When you line up against those guys, you better get ready to run and run for a long time and, 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 and be able to, have B to keep up with them. And then they got a coordinate it creative with those guys in their sweet spots to allow them to express themselves athletically. You mentioned the San Francisco 49ers. When you think of a timing system, efficient depth, details, uh, concepts, mm-hmm. I think of the San Francisco 49ers. So those are a few that come to mind when I think about wide receiver groups uh, and how they played and some of the things that emulates how we played with the greatest show on turf. One of the things that really made us special, and I say this all the time, and I look at San Francisco and other receiver groups is we enjoyed each other's success. We enjoyed watching one another get off. Yeah. Actually, we saw Isaac run a particular route that was dope. We came back in practice next week. and was like, yo, we got to run it like that and even better. So <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were pushing and challenging one another, but we was also excited yeah. and celebrating. And then we were very unselfish. You know, I, we had Marshall back in the in the backfield that we were handing it off to, and he can kill you. For days, but we didn't mind on the perimeter blocking and getting those extra blocks, extending those long runs uh, for a guy like Marshall. So, um, San Francisco 49ers come to mind in terms of the complete group of receivers and how they play in the receiving game, and, and as well as how they play in the run game.
3: All right, so we're going we're to wrap this up though because you're talking about guys playing off of one another. Let's go back to your former team, the Rams. The way that Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua, yep. who are similar in mm. stature, their games. Their their games are pretty similar. The way that they play off of each other, from the physicality of their blocking, from their big playability, from their catch and run ability, what can you say about that tandem and the
8: future of that tandem? Oh, I can say so much about that tandem. First and foremost, they're Rams, so I'm Go ahead. so to can about my Rams and my and our Rams receivers and the and the tradition that we have at the wide receiver position. When you think about the Los Angeles Rams or the St. Louis Rams, Los Angeles Rams, I have a way you want to say Rams. Look, these dudes, man, are talented as all get out. As you see there, core, Nakua, uh, 1,445 yards. I think he's 100 yards away from breaking the breaking the record for a rookie, uh, 101. I wrote it down here, 101 catches. He needs four to break the record. His size, uh, the, the speed in which he plays, the passion in which he plays, it's fun watching Puka Nakua play the game of football. And then he has a guy in Cooper Cup that he sees how to do it every single day in terms of the professionalism, the consistency, the work ethic. Cooper Cup, man, I said time and time again, when you go in that meeting room, he's going to be the first person you see right up front taking notes, pertinent notes. But he also shares the information with Puka and, and, and the rest of the wide receivers on that roster. So, look, I love the wide receiver core there to the do all those two guys. Uh, they're talented. Both are not small guys. You're talking about guys that are 6'2 plus, uh, mm-hmm. really nice size, thick. And the other thing about Puka Nakua, yeah, they throw him the football, but he also now is involved in the jet sweeps, And he's yep. using that size. Of key mm-hmm. first downs with his Rams offense to stay on, to keep them on the uh, field and moving the chains. And then they got a guy in, Matthew Stafford, right now is hot. And he can get them all the ball anywhere on the field. Tori, Holt showing us those hands and only compare
3: to Brian Baldingers when we do that. <laughs> hey, Tori, man, you know, we're supposed to be objective in doing what we're doing. But I got to tell you, man, we're pulling for you to finally get that knock on the door. We appreciate you joining us here on the NFL Report. Again, Happy New Year, and thanks so much.
8: Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. All the best. Peace. Coming up, Jeff Chania's
2: first read column. We're going to break down the AFC South. This could be a division for the next few years that we're all going to be enjoying watching these young quarterbacks play. More NFL Report coming up next. Hey, it's James Palmer, and you're listening to the NFL Report podcast along with myself and Steve Weiss. But remember, if you want to see our beautiful faces, this is a show at 7.15 Monday And Thursday, that's 7.15 p.m. Eastern. And we are on the NFL app, as well as fast streaming platforms. That's Tubi, that's Roku, that's Pluto, that's Peacock. All of those platforms, as well as the NFL.com slash NFL channel. Find us all of those spots.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
3: All right, we're back with our final block of the NFL Report. And for that, we're bringing in our guy, Jeff Chadia, every week. Oh, it's God. the first read segment. And, Jeff, right. just for the people listening on the podcast, you have yeah. on your, your Michigan gear. My colors. Your yep. colors as the Wolverines, of course, win a big one in the championship playoff. And James Palmer's Ohio State Buckeyes, of course, took an L to the Missouri Tigers, where I, I actually spent a little time. They played a bowl game? I didn't <laughs>
4: <laughs> me like the rest of Ohio State didn't know they played
2: a bowl game. Yeah. Okay. Me like me and the team didn't know there was a bowl game. Yeah. You know I don't like this though, by the way, Jeff, because we broke bread in Kansas City Saturday oh, night really? with our significant others. We there. We have a wonderful meal. Everybody's laughing.
6: It's it's glorious. And then you do this to me today. I didn't mention them at all, did I? Not once did I mention the college football. No, you out. didn't. Not We there. I think we were there for, I, I, I I we were there for three hours. Like you didn't a say a word.
0: Game hadn't been played yet, James.
6: (laughs) Game had not been played yet. All right, all right, we're going to revisit
3: this a different time. We don't have a ton of time left. But, Jeff, in your first read column today, you talk about what's at stake, right? Going into Week 18, a lot of things have already been decided. But only two playoff bursts are open in the AFC. And the big conundrum really comes out of the AFC South, where the Colts, Jags, and Texans are still in play. So why don't you walk us through some of those scenarios and then push it forward to how the AFC South, they could be the determining division in the AFC for the next whatever round of years.
6: Well, all three of these teams have a chance to win uh, the AFC South right now. Jacksonville clearly was in the front runner a few weeks ago when they were 8-3. and They've fallen back to the pack with a four-game losing streak, but they found a way to, to, to get that win last week impressively against a, a really bad Carolina team, obviously, and Houston and Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. are sitting there, too, hoping to to get a break here. Now, the reality here is that somebody has to win. Somebody has to fall out of this race. Houston plays Indianapolis this week, so one of those two teams will be out. But ironically, most of these three of these teams have shots at wild card spots at a time when you go back to start of the year when we were thinking probably the second worst division in football.
2: I thought, Jeff, we also were going like, you know, C.J. Stroud's balling in the middle of the year, then Shane Steichen somehow with his group and a backup quarterback and Gardner Minshew. It's like they just keep putting up points. We're like, this isn't sustainable to be playoff teams the rest of the way. But, man, these are nice stories. But that's not the way it is right now. And I think it's because what I just mentioned with Shane Steichen, and then you look at... D'Amico Ryans with the Houston Texans. Those two guys up probably for coach of the year, probably sitting there right behind Steve's guy and Kevin Stefanski, but also Mike Vrabels in this division. And you also have Doug Peterson in this division. When we look at what's moving forward with all of these teams, how much do you think the guys running these four programs are gonna make what we look at with the AFC South maybe turn on its head now in the foreseeable future?
6: Well, you look at the AFC South, from that lens, and what you're looking at is a, a, a division that has a great opportunity to really influence the AFC going forward. Because what you have there with with Stroud, Richardson, Will mm-hmm. Levis, and Trevor Lawrence is four guys on rookie contracts, right? And so these teams can go out. Jacksonville's yep. already spent money, but you have teams that can go out and really still be, keep building around what they have at the quarterback position, and they're well coached. So much as we talk about Kansas City and Buffalo and Cincinnati and and Baltimore, now you might potentially have four more teams that could be players in this because their brand of football division is – it's a more physical division. It's a division that, as you mentioned, is really well-coached. And we're finding out that the GMs, there know what they're doing too. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of this division going forward because mm-hmm. nobody thought they'd have more than one playoff team, and they might have two. How about that?
3: How about that? So, Jeff, every week in your column, you talk about the MVP race and – it is, in the words of Vinnie Johnson of Detroit Pistons, <laughs> OVA. It is over. <laughs> it is yeah. over. Lamar Jackson, the deal is sealed. I mean, what what can you say? Because some people are going to say he doesn't have the stats like this. But he's he's the MVP. He's oh, the best player. He's stats. the
6: best player in the NFL. Well, we said this a few weeks ago, and, and when I, I wrote that big MVP column, we talked about it on this, and I said, there's going to be some some wild cards in here that aren't named Brock Purdy or Dak Prescott. And Lamar was, was one of those people because you knew that they were going to have some big games and you knew they were going to have some opportunities to, to really showcase what, what the MVP could be for them. And, and, and what Lamar has done is exactly that. I mean, it, this was going to be a year where it was going to be less about stats and more about moments. And when you go to San Francisco and you blow out the best team in the NFL at the time and you go and you beat the Miami Dolphins, who had one of the top two offenses in of football at the time, you were making a huge statement about what you are and what you're leading. Like, I thought he had a great chance to win it just by them being the top seed. But when you look at what he's done the last couple of weeks and the way he played against the Dolphins, yeah, it, it cemented it. He's going to be – he's going to get his second MVP. All right, Jeff, under 30 seconds.
2: Is the runner-up then Josh Allen?
6: I think it about is. Yeah, I think it is. But I, I, I'll make a case for Dak Prescott. You know, I mean, it's like Dak has got the numbers, but he's played against lesser competition, I think, than what Josh has. Josh has a ton of touchdowns and has rallied the Bills. You know, it's if he didn't have the turnovers, he might have that award. But, but again, I think Josh hmm. Allen's done a lot to keep Buffalo in there, and, and I like him as a number two with Dak three.
3: Wow, interesting, Christian okay. McCaffrey. Oh, that must be your it. OPOY. Must I'm must Christian McCaffrey running back? It's quarterback? Yeah. Oh, we're talking about it for a <laughs> yeah. runner up for yeah. a runner-up. Hey, Jeff, we appreciate you. Let's see what the Wolverines can do. No, not today. In the big yeah. game. We'll, we'll, oh. we'll get back, but we appreciate you. Have a happy it's new a year happy the rest new,
6: of the West. It's a happy new year already, brother. Happy new year already. There we go. I, I, like, oh, right, I like the Jeff
2: Janier in person much more than the virtual Jeff Janier. There we go. Lie. Well, I had well, a speaking great time of, with him this weekend.
3: Hey, speaking of virtual, <laughs> here we are, James and I. You can find us on the NFL Report. Today it's Tuesday, but typically every Monday and Thursday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time on your free streaming apps like Roku, Tubi, Peacock, Pluto, places like that. But we're also a podcast. You can find us on iHeartRadio and other places where you get your podcast. So, JP, you got about the final 20 seconds here, Week 18. What do you think we're going to be talking about this time next week, which will also be
2: on a Tuesday? Oh, man, I'm not even going to go to that, Steve. I'm going to go to Thursday when Baldy breaks down everything we need to know between that Dolphins and Bills game. Oh, it's going to be my favorite, Baldy's favorite films of all time. Let's the podcast.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.